All right. Good afternoon and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Um, few technical glitches aside, everything appears to be working just fine right now. Um, so we're going to go ahead and roll into the show itself. Um, my name is Tom Hollingsworth, and each week at 12.30 Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time, depending on your things, we uh, meet each to discuss the news. I'm joined this week by the storage pack rat himself, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, thanks for bearing with us and joining us for the show. It's good to be here. Uh, if it wasn't uh, software glitches, we wouldn't know that we were actually using computers. Now, that's true. So we are going to go ahead and get started with this episode, and we're going to jump right into one of our favorite segments, News or Nah. This is where we had some things in the roundup that maybe weren't newsworthy necessarily, but we're hoping that we can make a little bit of sense out of it. So I'm going to go ahead and get started with one of the first items. Uh, VMworld was last week, and one of the announcements that did kind of slip under the radar was VMware buying the cloud automation platform SaltStack. Um, according to reports, SaltStack is being positioned to help augment the vRealize automation offerings that VMware already has and broaden the reach of the vRealize and SaltStack platforms to be in all corners of the data center. Now, the details that were all financial were not released during the announcement, but SaltStack has taken about $28 million in three funding rounds. Now, VMware adding a little salt to vRealize. Stephen, do you think that this counts as news? I don't think you should get salty about it, Tom. Uh, no, I, I think it's actually um, it, it's actually is news. Um, you know, Salt is a great automation uh, configuration management platform, and it's widely used. Uh, frankly, I wasn't aware that SaltStack was a company, like a venture funded company, uh, until I like heard this news, and then I looked it up and realized they were trying to do a multi cloud kind of thing, trying to pull an Nginx or something. But um, cool. Um, I'd say that it uh, probably wasn't a big, super lucrative acquisition. Um, I think that it's uh, it's great that they have this technology. It's really solid technology, even though I personally prefer Ansible. But um, you know, cool. Go go for it. Uh, maybe they'll do something good with it, or maybe yeah. it'll just suck. Yeah, I think for the people that already use SaltStack, this is a great pickup. But um, I don't know how much this is going to increase SaltStack's user base. Yeah. Well, Tom, um, another uh, big acquisition happened last week. Uh, Juniper announced that they were intending to buy NetRounds. Um, this company is presented at Networking Field A, uh, in fact, NFU20. Uh, it's known for being a software-based assurance platform to provide monitoring and test data on both wired, wired and wireless. Um, details were not disclosed, but the acquisition is expected to close in the fourth quarter. Uh, Juniper is getting testy with NetRounds. Is this news or not? I think this is news, and there's one big reason why. If you've been watching any of the stuff that Juniper and Mist have been presenting at the last couple of field day events that they've been a part of, you will probably have heard the name Mist quite a bit. And if you've heard Mist, you know of Marvis, which is their AI virtual assistant that they're using to kind of do a lot of things in the space. NetRounds is all about providing data for Marvis. So this is all about getting as much data into the platform as possible. And anytime you can feed AI better data, that's news. Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, in the news of the cloud, um, Microsoft did hit a little bit of an issue uh, last week. Actually, it happened right after the rundown. Um, customers noticed that on September the 29th, there was an outage, and they were having some trouble getting to some of their cloud software apps, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Microsoft engineers bravely jumped into the fray and were able to finally trace down the root cause to a recent change that was made. Imagine that. Um, there were some unintended consequences, and so Microsoft just decided to roll everything back. Uh, it was able to be undone, and they were able to restore complete functionality, but it did take them six hours. 
Now, Stephen, do you think that a cloud outage of the world's biggest cloud offer, uh, Office software suite is news, or should Microsoft just change the name of the platform to Office 364 in 18 hours? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think uh, maybe they should. Now, honestly, I think that this is, um, well, it was news to a lot of people. I mean, it even affected us, and we're not really big Microsoft users, but it actually hit us uh, as well. Um, I will actually draw a parallel here to a couple other stories that we saw this week. Um, you know, so here, uh, all of our websites went down because Cloudflare made a typo in the latest plugin that got pushed out to WordPress sites far and wide. And you had to like manually like roll it. And uh, well, that sucked. And uh, then they pushed out a patch that seems to have like upgraded it without intervention. But, um, you know, uh, things like this seem to be happening quite a lot. And um, I think the whole move fast, break things is great, except when the entire world depends on it. I mean, look at all these Zoom outages and stuff. Um, frankly, as consumers, I think we need to start looking at alternatives. Uh, field day, uh, you know, we've just implemented WebEx in addition to Zoom in case we lose uh, Zoom connectivity. Um, I think this is uh, the new world. Um, outages are going to happen. And uh, unfortunately, it's going to be on consumers to, to, to pick up when they do. Yeah, and I think that we're seeing more of it because we're working from home. So we have a bunch of diversity when it comes to connectivity. And it's a whole lot easier for us to figure out that the problem is in the cloud service. And it's not easy to blame it on your enterprise network when no one has an enterprise network anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it goes with some of the things we've been saying on the rundown recently about more and more working from home. Um, so... I guess turning the page here to discussions, um, you know, let's talk about uh, the $2 billion elephant in the room. So Cisco is going to have to open up their wallets uh, thanks to a lawsuit from Centripetal Networks that's been going on since 2018. Um, finally worked it through the courts and not in the way that Cisco would have preferred. Um, they alleged that uh, they developed a network protection system funded partly by the U.S. government and patented portions of it. And then Cisco saw it under NDA and they're alleging that Cisco then introduced similar functionality in some of their other programming products a short time later. Uh, the judge uh, stated that the appearance of similar functionality in Cisco's products so soon after these meetings uh, goes beyond mere coincidence. Tom, Cisco has been very aggressive in the past when uh, litigating patent infringement in their direction. Uh, are the chickens coming home to roost here? I think that this absolutely is a case where Cisco um, did something that probably shouldn't have been done and got caught, and now they're gonna have to pay for it. Um, here's the thing, we've seen Cisco aggressively go after companies. I think probably the one that everybody knows is Arista. Um, they, they didn't want money from Arista. They wanted Arista shut down. And they've been litigating that patent for quite a while, or that series of patents. And now Centripetal Networks comes in, and let's be fair, if you look over the, the brief, it's an open and shut case. They showed Cisco technology under NDA. Cisco developed the technology less than a year later, put it into their systems, and would not allow their engineers to answer questions on the stand when pressed on the fact that there are quotes from those engineers saying Centripetal Networks has solved problems re that had recently been considered unsolvable. I mean, if I was a judge, that's not something you can really argue at this point. Um, there were a lot of people that got interviewed about this. There were a lot of people that had to testify about this. And I think what's happened is, is that when it's this bad, you're going to have to pay up. Now, if you read the article that's going to be linked in the show notes, um, the, the register does kind of put it into perspective in that that's like two months of Cisco's profits. So it's not like Cisco's hurting, 
but hopefully this hurts enough that in the future, they're a little bit more careful about who gets to look at the code and then who gets to implement those features into another product. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, this sort of thing is kind of a solved problem, right? I mean, companies know how to review uh, for M&A. They know how to keep, uh, you know, IP uh, walled off. Um, I mean, there was famous, uh, I mean, this was, you know, Silicon Valley and Compaq and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, companies should know how to do this. And um, I don't want to weigh in on the merits of the case at all because I don't really know. But I'll tell you that um, it seems really, really weird to me that Cisco would let this happen. Yeah, I, it almost makes me wonder, and, and again, I have no visibility into this whatsoever, if maybe this was not an attempt at an acquisition that failed later on, and now that the company that was going to get acquired is like, wait a minute, something doesn't smell right here. But we may never know, and Cisco is going to appeal it, because let's be fair, if someone told me I owed them $2 billion, I'd want to find out if there was any legal recourse to not have to do it either. Yeah. All right. Speaking of money, uh, it was a, a bad day for the Tokyo Stock Exchange last Thursday. Uh, they had to tra halt trading for the entire day. Every order that was placed on Thursday was canceled due to a huge outage. Um, now, what, what could have possibly caused an outage in a stock exchange? Well, it turns out there was a bad piece of very specific hardware that has that controls a lot of the trading. Okay. Hardware goes bad all the time. We have a plan for that. We're going to restore from backup and keep rolling forward. Well, guess what? When they tried to do that, something didn't go right, and they had to halt the entire exchange. Now, here's the bad part about it. October 1st, which was what last Thursday was, was the beginning of most people's financial Q4. So, yeah, you kind of want your stuff running in Q4. Also, they went digital back in 1999. So if you've ever watched trading places where they're all screaming from the pit, they don't do that anymore. Um, this is the first time the exchange has had to be physically shut down since 1999. So 21-year uptime track record is pretty nice. Um, now, here's the thing for you, Stephen, because you're a person who does a lot with cloud and especially with backup and disaster recovery and things like that. Um, how can Tokyo's stock exchange do this better next time so that they don't have to knock out an entire day's worth of trading? Well, that's the crazy thing, man. Um, so the crazy thing about this story is not that a bug caused them to an outage. I mean, like we discussed a few minutes ago, outages happen and outages are going to happen and are going to continue to happen. Um, the crazy thing is that they rolled back a day of trading. Like, raise your hand if you knew that a stock exchange could do that. So let's let's be very clear on what happened here. They had an outage. They tried to restore from backup. It was corrupted. We're talking RPO error here. Essentially, they had to say, well, all those trades today, yeah, they didn't happen. And not only that, but a lot of these trades were based on news. They were based on, you know, like world economic news. They were based on financials from businesses. All that stuff was wiped out and reset back to the beginning of the day, the previous day, which is absolutely insane. The fact that this happened, it just blows my mind. How can that happen? So this really isn't a hardware bug story. This is an RPO and backup and DR story. It is absolutely insane to think that this stock exchange um, was, that their RPO was yesterday, right? I don't know the details of it. I don't know exactly what software or hardware they were using, but this is, this is beyond unacceptable. This is someone should be fired. Someone else should be fired. You know, like everybody that works for them should be fired. Here's the thing, folks. Backup is important. Data protection is important. You need to know what you're doing. You need to have a reasonable RPO. 
you need to have a reasonable RTO as well. So RPO is recovery point objective. In other words, how far do we have to roll back? If you're a stock exchange and the answer is yesterday, you screwed up. Mm -hmm. If uh, you know your RTO, recovery time objective, basically how long is it gonna take you to get back up and running? Again, if that answer is tomorrow and you're a stock exchange, you screwed up. This is just unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story. And, um, and I am shocked that it happened. And That's the, all. Yeah. Um, well, to me, the funny thing is like going back to the office story, I mean, 99.95% uptime is about six hours lost per year. We expect cloud services, whether it's email, documents, whatever, to be up 24-7, 365 or six days a year. Stock exchanges only have to be open from like, what, 9 a.m. local time to around 4 p.m. local time. And then they have all that time afterwards that they can do things that need to be done. And yet, when they go down, it is a huge problem because it's a spider web that affects everybody else. I mean, the Bloomberg story that's going to be quoted in the show notes talks about the fact that this had effects on the stock prices of other stocks on you know, FTSE and the New York Stock Exchange and things like that. You only have a small window to hit to be up. So, uh, Tom, uh, speaking of outages and failures and all sorts of crap, the U.S. Treasury recently published guidelines regarding ransomware payments. Uh, this is growing trend of having a piece of malware infect your entire system and encrypt uh, files has become lucrative for many enterprising criminals. And we've talked about it quite a few times here on The Rundown. The newest wrinkle is that many of them are being sponsored by nation states and have found themselves placed on sanctions list by the U.S. government. This means that if a company pays to have their data unlocked, they could be held liable by the Treasury Department and fined or sued. This new guideline states that companies need to get law enforcement involved as soon as possible. They need to call the Treasury to get approval to pay sanctioned organizations for data retrieval. But there's no guarantee that Treasury is going to let them off the hook. Uh, Tom, does this mean that the U.S. Treasury would be willing to let American businesses fail to avoid being paid uh, to, to avoid paying sanctioned ransomwares? That is the 64 Bitcoin question right now, because it is the, the guidelines have always been a little nebulous. And we, we learned this a couple of weeks ago when Garmin got smacked by um, a variant of a, a popular ransomware uh, tool, I believe that was put out either by Evil Corp or Lazarus Group. Uh, Garmin paid like they, they knew they had to pay because there was no way they were going to let anybody get away with not having a, a, access to the Garmin wearable market. Well, if it was Lazarus Group or Evil Corp, they're sanctioned. If you pay them money, you are violating sanctions, just like if you sold a nuclear missile to Iran or you tried to import uh, cigars out of Cuba, at least in the old days. So there was no clear guidelines. And the Treasury Department finally came out and said, yeah, you can't do that unless we know about it. So it kind of feels like Garmin got off the hook. But now it also says we're not going to give you a blanket exception if you get infected. So what's the solution? Is the solution, you know, pay the 38 Bitcoin to get your whatever back? Is it kind of like we talked about in the Tokyo Stock Exchange story? Do you need to have a reasonable backup solution that you can go back to so we can roll to, you know, two days ago when we weren't infected and, and hope that all the data is there? Uh, because here's the other thing. Uh, the guidelines say that uh, Treasury has to have at least seen law enforcement involvement in this before they'll even consider it. And so you have to come to them hat in hand going, we tried everything we could and we still couldn't make it work. Can we please, 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 oh, please pay these people and not get arrested for it? And Treasury's response is maybe. Uh, I mean, I understand from a from a geopolitical perspective, if you're essentially financing nation state hacking, 
you don't want to keep doing that. And if you haven't been listening to um, the uh, Darknet Diaries podcast, uh, Jack Resider did a really excellent series in the last couple of months about essentially North Korean hackers doing these things to finance their hacking abilities. That's how they're getting paid because nobody can send them any money. And so that's where Lazarus Group comes from. They're North Korean hackers. They're state sponsored. And so if you pay Lazarus Group, you're paying the North Koreans to continue to do this. But I also think a blanket statement of we're not going to let you pay anybody else to get your butt out of a sling is not a good precedent to set. Well, it's it's a tough, tough question. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. A lot of these ransomware attacks are nation state attacks and they're attacks from companies that are specifically um, and or a company countries that are specifically blocked by the U.S. Treasury as uh, basically being terrorist states. Um, Absolutely. By the way, 64 uh, Bitcoin is $680,000 today, in case you were wondering. Um, and that's uh, actually smaller than a lot of these ransomware payments are. And not not to forget either that, as we talked about on the rundown a few weeks ago, um, one of the challenges with ransomware as well is that it's not just locking you out now. Now they're threatening to release data. So mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, if the, for the longest time, the answer was, we'll just get a really good backup system and you can, you know, get back up and running quickly. Um, that's not an answer if the data was exfiltrated and is going to be released. And if it's something that you don't want released, um, that could be a big problem too. So, man, I don't know the answer here, but I will tell you that, um, you know, paying ransom uh, absolutely finances more hijacks. Um, you know, they found this with, uh, you know, uh, the uh, pirates and, you know, in the... Indian Ocean. Um, they found this with, uh, you know, with ransomware for years. Um, and also, there's no telling whether the ransom is actually, if you pay the ransom, whether it's actually going to unlock the data. And not only that, but, uh, you know, once they've got you, they know that you're going to pay, they might as well just focus on attacking you again. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's just a really, really tough situation. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say, man. Uh, well, the other thing is there's a there's a little bit of an undercurrent in the security community right now. Um, U.S. Treasury essentially saying you can't pay these these sanctioned groups could be the first phase in designating these sanctioned malware writing groups as something other than and allowing them to be pursued by people like U.S. Central Cybercom Command and uh, you know maybe even the CIA. Uh, that that could be a a very big escalation in the way that we fight against cybercrime because right now, I mean, it's kind of all reactive. You know, we we try to restore backups. We try to find out who did it. What happens when there's an arm of the federal government who's like, you know what? We're not going to let you do this anymore and we're going to go after you. Uh, that could be a very big part of, of where we go from here. And maybe it's time for some of the security experts out there to kind of weigh in uh, with with the U.S. Treasury Department, is this a good idea or not? Because if you don't want this to get worse, you need to tell them right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that should just about do it for this episode of The Rundown. We want to thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, remember that we are live each Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time uh, here on our uh, YouTube channel. If you're watching this after the fact, you can find us at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff here, not just the rundown, but our on-premise IT roundtable podcast, our checksum series, our conversation series. Um, and every once in a while, we get a really cool thing in the office and we like to unbox it for everybody out there. Um, you can also watch this video after the fact if you head over to our Facebook channel, uh, facebook.com slash gestaltit. There's also a lot of great uh, content there, including some of the uh, articles that we write here on Gestalt IT. 
Um, you can also listen to this as a podcast. So if you're currently listening to this in your car or on your run, we appreciate your patronage. Uh, you can uh, go uh, in your favorite podcasting application of choice and, uh, and download this content in a consumable way. Well, we'll be back next week on uh, October the 14th with more great news. Hopefully nothing too scary, just some, some fun articles. Um, and if you have any news articles that you'd like to see us cover on the rundown, make sure you hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Networking Nerd and Stephen is at S. Foskett. Um, we will get your article in and uh, give it a little bit of a snarky take, but that's kind of how we do things around here. Uh, so for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett and the rest of our Gestalt IT family, thank you for tuning in and we wish everyone out there a super, super sparkly day. Bye-bye.